Welcome to episode 168 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode of the podcast, we discuss the secret bid to buy a stake in the NRL, the Brisbane Broncos' bottom dwellers, the rule that has brought new life to scrums, and much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 168 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, how are you going this week? Oh, Dr. T, I am doing well. I can't get enough of the NRL. Uh, So much so that I've actually uh, become a member of, well, I've started watching Amazon Prime. And I actually caught a very good documentary on the Leeds Rhinos that's actually uh, on, uh, you know, on uh, Amazon Prime, uh, which was absolutely fantastic because, you know, uh, Super League's not on at the moment. Uh, we're kind of missing half our rugby league uh, global community, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of history in terms of the Leeds Rhinos that I had no idea about, but it was absolutely fantastic. So that's my been that's been my week. How about you, Doctor T? Uh, well, that's good. You've been getting into documentaries. Uh, I have not. Uh, I've <laughs> unfortunately, um, you know, but but I, I do. I have actually been thinking, uh, you know, more along the lines of, you know, ideas for, uh, you know, rugby league, uh, you know, reality shows. I, I, oh, I yeah. feel like there's been uh, a missed opportunity here during the COVID mm. crisis that. Uh, you know, here is an opportunity to, you know, to have a bit of fun with uh, with some of our celebrity players, and uh, you know, and, and get them, you know, get them doing some crazy things. I mean, you know, I mean, look, I don't want to put, uh, you know, put it. Out. I may as well put it out there. Look, what about look MasterChef NRL? I mean, wow, who wouldn't want to see, uh, you know, you know, club against club. You know, I want to see, I want to do proper, you know, for those of us that have been missing, you know, missing the finals, like, you know, missing that competition, mm. like, as much as I love the NRL, you know, I just can't wait for the knockouts, you know, like, I can't wait for the Absolutely. finals. And, and so, to me, it's like, well, easy way to do it is get get 16 uh, players, the best chefs from each of the teams, get them together, you know, yeah. get them to cook, uh, you know, cook something up and... And get them to be knocked out, and all of a sudden, there's your TV series. You know, come on, put on your put on your Fox if you want, or put on Channel Nine, whatever. In fact, no, make it free to wear. Make it, make it one of those. Uh, make it on, uh, put on YouTube. Do it a free. Yeah. You know, one of those free things. Let's see how many people will watch it. I would watch it. I, I personally yeah. can't wait oh. to see uh, what uh, what the sharks do with their uh, with their special ingredients. Um, you know. <laughs> I can't wait to see what they do. I can't wait to see the uh, the New Zealand Warriors and what they do. They I want to bring the the Maori kind of flavour, you know, bit of a Maori cookout. Mm. You know, what do they call it? The hangy. 
Um, you know, <laughs> is it the hangi? Is it the hangi? Yeah, yeah. The hangi, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. That not? would be good. And uh, yeah, that sounds awesome. And of course, you know the, uh, you know the Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs, of course, bringing it Lebanese style. <laughs> You know, Middle Eastern style with uh, with your kebabs galore. I mean, you know, this is what I haven't seen in MasterChef. There's no no chef wants to do kebabs. Why? Why not? It's a no. special. Oh. It's a, it's. What else would you like after a night on the drink with uh, Roosters and Rabbitohs players at Coogee Bay Hotel? You, you at three a.m. Yeah. What are you looking for? You're looking for some kebabs, aren't you? You know. So yeah. this is what I'm thinking. Well, so anyway, that, that's where I, where my mind well, has Well, I'll be honest. Oh, well, well, what a great place it's taken you. And you know what, Dr. T, um, I know we're not a MasterChef podcast, but um, I was really excited about this is MasterChef, and I still am. But, uh, you know, I realize there's no Indians in there in, you know, in this season's of MasterChef, nor is there any uh, Lebanese or Middle Eastern uh, people. So you have seen a lack of Middle Eastern cuisine. Uh you know, and um, I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm just getting sick and tired of all the stir fry challenges they seem to be having at the moment. So, uh, yeah, I mean, spicing it up with the NRL would be well, fantastic. To be, to, be fair, to be fair, to be fair, though, there were a, a few Middle Eastern uh, people with Middle Eastern background early on, but unfortunately, they ended up just cooking the same thing all the time. <laughs> <laughs> And so they ended up not going very far. So, look, uh, you know, I think the better ones are, are, are there at the moment in the final. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, look, I, look to me, I just, uh, you know, and, and, and at some point what I'd like to see, I mean, more so than anything else, I'd like to see the chefs being uh, former, like, coaches. Mm. Being, so not, not the chefs, not the chefs, the, uh, the judges, sorry. The judges be former coaches. But what I want to see is a truly representative. I want a New, Ze- New South Wales, a Queensland, and a New Zealand uh, former coach wow. on the judging panel. And when they have a tough decision to make, I want them to go to the bunker wow. and bring Bill Harrigan. I like to, it. That's to great. To settle the score. What do you reckon? All hmm. of a sudden... I've uh, I've improved MasterChef two hundred percent, haven't I, with some of those oh, ideas? Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, look, you could you could introduce scrums and six agains, and uh, you know forty twenties. Uh, you could introduce all of that into the uh, into the MasterChef. But I think yeah, the the MasterChef bunker, the three uh, judges from the three different uh, jurisdictions of rugby league, New Zealand, Australia, and well, actually, New South Wales, Queensland, and uh, and uh, and Australia, and you know, celebrity celebrity guests from the UK. Uh, that's where all the Master Chef uh, celebrity chefs come from, anyway. Uh, it would be fantastic. I, th- I think it's a wonderful idea, and uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, Channel Ten does not have the rights to the NRL, so they can't really implement any of this. But um, you know, we well, can only dream. We can only dream or we could send an email to Peter Valandis, and I think I'm going to do that as soon as we stop recording tonight, Tish. <laughs> okay. I'm going to send him a thing. But it just goes to show, Tish, that, you know, you add a touch of the spice of rugby league to anything and it really mm. improves your dish. And it really Absolutely. improves anything rugby league. So on that note, <laughs> let's jump into our uh, our massive six tackles. We got a lot to get through the, this week, absolutely. So let's just launch headfirst into it. Uh, tackle number one, 
Here we go, the round seven wrap. All right, so first up we've got the Panthers uh, defeating the South Sydney Rabbitohs 20 points to 12. Um, you know, fairly close, uh, it seems, but I think I just got the impression that this was not really one that uh, that Penrith looked like losing. That was the impression that I got. Mm. I just felt like uh, that, that the, you know, the Panthers were on top throughout, even though, uh, you know, and they kind of were. I mean, it kind of wasn't really over until the very end and uh but but yeah uh what were your thoughts on on this match does it does it you know and and i've got to be fair this win actually got them temporarily to be uh on top of the ladder so it wasn't a nothing win for the Penrith panthers uh it was very important against uh you know a top eight side for sure so what are your thoughts on this uh quality win i would say well, uh, yeah, a very quality win for Panthers, who this was their home game at Kugara Oval, um, you know, Oki Jubilee, which is more closer to South Sydney than Penrith. Uh, um, but but that's how it goes at the moment with all these home grounds. But look, I think Penrith, but they were in the driver's seat the whole game. I think South Sydney, I think there was, it was interesting commentary. I think Andrew Johns pointed out the fact that, uh, you know, that the Rabbitohs have shown good form, but they've been playing games in the in the day and this is a night game and the conditions uh don't really suit their style of play to play at night time and you know what they're talking about is probably the dew that's on the ball a little bit more moisture in the atmosphere causing a lot more slippery balls and you know the rabbitos they they had opportunities throughout the game but they seem to always come up with the wrong option or they seem to drop the ball in crucial moments which really cost them meanwhile the panthers they they seem very controlled very organized in their attack um, you could really see Nathan Cleary being, you know, the, the head of the team, showing some great skills, showing some great foot skills. I think, uh, you know, we did see some footage of him, uh, you know, sort of, you know, dancing uh, in the COVID-19 break. And I think, uh, you know, that dance practice is really starting to pay off for um, for Nathan Cleary. And, uh, yeah, so I think that's uh, that's showing in his, in his skill at the moment. Absolutely. And, all right, so the next match was, uh, well, this wasn't even close, the Storm 50 against the Warriors 6. Uh, you know, well, I say it wasn't close, but to be fair, <laughs> to be fair, uh, for the first 12 minutes, it was close. It was nil all. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then well, you know, and then the, the floodgates opened and really, you know, they it didn't look like closing at all. I mean, the only try was just after the halftime for the Warriors was just after halftime. Uh, and by that stage, I think, what was it? It was uh, four, four tries uh, all converted. No, is that right? So, so it would have been, you know, what, 20 nil pretty much. Um, uh, more, a little bit more. So at halftime, so, you know, and then they just went on with it. And so really, and you know, clinical performance, I don't know if you could say that. I mean, you know, yes and no, they do what they need to do. But I think the Warriors are just on a downward trajectory. And I think a lot of it has to do with uh, they're not, they're mentally not there at the moment. They've, they've got, they've gone a bit homesick. Uh, you can't blame them for it. I mean, this is a, such an unusual circumstance and, I think they're struggling, the club, um, and I think we have to be forgiving of them because you can understand that, 
you know, a lot of these players are being torn apart from their families, and that's really, really difficult. So it's unfortunate uh, it, that they encountered a white-hot Melbourne storm. Uh, what are your thoughts about this game? Yeah, I think uh, you pretty much summed it up really well. I mean, the Warriors look like a team that are uh, on their last legs, um, and from reports, some of the players could be there absolutely struggling. And it seems like rugby league is kind of really uh, far from their minds. Uh, they've lost a, a very loved coach in the dressing room. Even the uh, interim coaches called it, uh, likened it to a death in the family. That's how the players feel about Stephen Kearney's departure. And, yeah, being away from family and, and just sort of the whole situation has been very tough on the Warriors. And, uh, you know, and, uh, even uh, some of their uh, lone players are, are returning back to the Roosters um, because they've got injury problems that we'll probably talk about at the moment. But then, yeah, look, and Melbourne, a very, uh, a very professional performance, and yeah, future to six. And uh, I think um, Ryan Hoffman said that towards the uh, middle of the second half, uh, you know, Ryan Hoffman, he's, you know, I think he's head of football operations at Melbourne, um, a former Melbourne player, but also a former Warriors player. He actually said that it felt like they were kicking a puppy. Oh, that's how bad they felt about, you know, playing, playing the rest of the game. And I thought that's pretty harsh. Uh, Words and then uh, you saw some, um, you know, you saw some uh, imagery of uh, Cam Smith uh, addressing the Warriors players after the game. Um, don't know how that all went down, but uh, I think I think his heart was in the right place. I don't know if uh, if it kind of worked, but yeah, but uh, yeah, everybody's uh, everybody's uh, getting behind the Warriors, but man, because they really are doing it tough. All right, uh, another team doing it tough. The Dragons, twenty six twelve, losing against the the Roosters. Uh, this would have been that traditional uh, Anzac Day clash, uh, obviously a postponed one. Look, um, you know, I think it's fair to say that, you know, at one point they were pretty close. <laughs> mm. uh, in the yeah. first half it was very close. It was, uh, was it 12-10 or something? Um, yeah. And then as the Roosters have done in the past, they just find that second gear uh, and they did that against the... Uh, the Eels, and they certainly did that against the Dragons. Um, you know, fairly evenly spread tries throughout the uh, the second half for the Roosters. But the key thing here is uh, Brett Morris, uh, you know, a hat-trick of tries. Uh, not to be sneezed at, pretty good performance. Uh, you know, how they fit all the Morris twins and all the, you know, all the Dados and all the Burgesses <laughs> under one salary cap. I don't know how they do that, but they managed mm. to do it. So good on them. They've made, they've managed to make do with, uh, you know, with, with some with a very, very strong squad. And the key thing that came out of this was a, a magical play by, uh, was it uh, Joseph Manu, I think it was. Oh, who, yes came up with a, a YouTube highlights-worthy flick pass that uh, was absolutely out of nowhere. Um, you know, d- d- I don't know who he passed it to who scored a try. Uh, Warrior Hargraves. Uh, Warrior Hargraves, that's right. It was. Uh, yeah, that's right. And, and yeah, it was just amazing. It was so quick. I mean, you know, it, it reminded me of that. And, you know, you would obviously know this and remember this. The 2005 Grand Final the Benji Marshall, uh, you know, flick pass to Paddy Richards for the Tigers uh, against the Cowboys. But uh, it, this one was even faster. It, this one mm. completely, uh, you know, it, I think you had to slow down the frames per second rate 
on your video to see it. It was so fast, and a lot of the commentators missed it as well. Uh, it just looks so amazing. So a lot of good skills there. So, you know, razzle-dazzle roosters. Absolutely. Um, look, that try, yeah, firstly, yeah, I agree with that try. It was pretty phenomenal, actually. And uh, Manu, uh, Benji Marshall, Warrior Hargraves, they're all Kiwis, so uh, that's one good thing for New Zealand. They're great at flick passes uh, and uh, catching them. So, yeah, great work. And he was actually playing fullback Manu for uh, the Roosters because they were out. Uh, you know, James Tedesco was out. Uh, and now more injury problems for the Roosters. They lost Victor Radley and Sam Verrills. Uh, during this game, apparently the uh, surface was too sticky or slippery. Um, so, you know, that, you know, was kind of a danger. They wanted an investigation to Bank West. Uh, I might remind the Roosters that uh, there were 34 players playing that game and only two got hurt. So, um, and they got hurt in different parts of the field. So I don't really understand why you can, you know, the first thought is to blame it on the field. Uh, maybe there's something in preparation of the players. Maybe it's just a freak accident. Uh, but I felt that a lot of people jumped jump to criticisms on the the playing conditions. But that being said, the Roosters, um, this is a really tight game. I thought that, uh, you know, the Dragons uh, have been very bad this season. And they, they really turned, came up to play. They were leading at halftime. And uh, one thing I was really impressed about was Sam uh, was, uh, was Dufty, Matt Dufty, and his um, passing ability because – if you see the Dragons' uh, tries, it's interesting. You know, he's playing fullback, but he seemed to be the main uh, go-to guy when it came to their attack and it came to their passing game. And he set up two beautiful tries, two beautiful passes. And um, I just wonder if he's got a future in a halfback position for the Dragons. Uh, and I think the Dragons have had some issues with their continuity around uh, their attack and around their spine. And I think maybe that... Um, Dufty might be a bit of an answer for them. Uh, but that being said, yeah, they, they put on a good effort. But the Roosters, they, you know, they, they just show why they're sort of a, a class above the rest. They were able to, you know, fight through any sort of adversity. Um, and I think Victor Radley is going to be a big loss for them because I feel like if they um, – I think as the season goes on, they're going to have to change the way they play a little bit because um, Victor Radley was a bit of a link man between the forwards and the backs, uh, you know, doing a – almost a very traditional lock-forward role and uh, losing a lock um, that is so pitiful to, to how they attack, this might uh, create a bit of a, a bit of a vacuum for them uh, that other teams can sort of exploit. So we'll see how the Roosters go uh, in the upcoming weeks without, you know, without Radley. Uh, Radley is actually out for the season as well. So uh, very, very interesting type of developments happening in this game, uh, particularly around what the Roosters had uh going wrong for them when it comes to injuries. All right. And the next uh, the next match was, you know, in one of a few games in this uh, round that was uh, almost impossible to predict. <laughs> the Cowboys winning this one 32-20 against the Knights after the Knights had shown so much promise. Uh, you know, I guess it was probably due to the fact that they were at home, uh, although mm. home for them was... Uh, well, it's, what is it called? Queensland Country Bank Stadium. So, uh, you know, it's just, again, <laughs> one of those ones where it's difficult to predict, in my view. Um, I, look, I don't know where to go from here because I think the Cowboys, uh, I didn't really watch this match, but I saw some highlights. It looked like the Cowboys uh, were in control, although it seems like it was a tale of two halves because uh, I think they scored pretty much 
all of their points within the first, what, 50 minutes or so, whereas yeah. uh, the Knights really only kicked into gear around the time that the Cowboys, you know, uh, stopped scoring uh, early in the second half. So uh, not quite two halves of football, but as close as you can get. <laughs> so, again, what does that mean? Well, it means that, you know, the Knights let it slip, uh, really. They lost an opportunity. They let it get it too far ahead of them, and then they left their comeback too late. I think that's yeah. my summary of what I, what I think happened. But what about you, Tish? What were your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely right. I think the Knights gave themselves too much to climb back on. So as the game progressed, um, the Knights seemed to get better and better. And, um, you know, very interesting. You know, the Cowboys had a very bad first half against the Tigers. They had a really good first half this time against the Knights, but then probably their second half was <laughs> was not as good. So, um, you know, this is the yeah, sort of paying 40-minute 40, 40 at the moment. And um, meanwhile, the Knights, yeah, they, they are a top-class team, but I think, you know, away from home, um, you know, playing sort of, you know, North Queensland, the temperature is a little different to where they're used to at Newcastle as well. So maybe that's kind of the excuses that they're putting in there. But, look, I, I thought that, um, yeah, the Knights kind of sh- – uh, sorry, the, the Cowboys showed uh, a bit of – a bit of resilience, which they've kind of never, uh, you know, which has been lacking. So um, not sure if this is the start of anything new or if this is just an anomaly. We'll see how good they go next week. All right. And the next match, uh, well, this is one we're going to sort of dive into a little bit further later, but the Broncos continue their downward spiral. This time, the all-Queensland, all-Southeast Queensland derby, against the Titans, one that they would have been expected to win under normal circumstances. And they ended up not only losing to the Titans, but losing handsomely 30 points to 12 uh, What in what has been roundly called throughout the media as uh, the lowest point of the Brisbane Broncos history. Uh, Tish, they were never really in it. The Titans uh, were in control uh, pretty much the entire match. What were your thoughts on this match? Uh, yeah, look, abs- uh, yeah, absolutely. I think the Titans kind of from start to end, they just wanted it more. They wanted to win, and I think that uh, they just came out firing and completely, uh, you know, dominated the Broncos throughout the whole game. And you can even see the Broncos, uh, you know, sort of giving up just the effort. I think a lot of fans were quite upset. They were actually booed uh, off the, uh, you know, off Suncourt Stadium by the 6,000 fans that were there. So that's another little interesting thing about part, about this game is that they were allowed, um, you know, they were allowed attendance to this game uh, because some restrictions have been lifted in Queensland. So they had, uh, they could have 10,000 people to the stadium, but they only managed to get 6,000. So that kind of shows you how bad Brisbane are going because they normally have capacity crowds or close capacity crowds every week. So the fact they only had 6,000 there, that really shows you how bad they're doing. And on top of that, these 6,000 diehards, they all they all booed Brisbane um, and their lack of performance. So uh, a lot will be said. And, uh, yeah, we'll see. And uh, congratulations to the Titans because, uh, you know, a rare win in 2020. Uh, and uh, 20, I, get, I think it gets them off the bottom of the ladder, which is good for them as well. It absolutely did. And, uh, yeah, well... Yeah, from one low-quality type game to, I guess you would say, pretty high-quality game. Uh, the Eel, yeah. uh in Golden Point, 25 over the Canberra Raiders, last year's grand finalist, 24. Uh, 
look, normally I'd say, you know, great win. And it was a great win. It was very exciting to watch, especially the end of that game. But really, the, uh, the as an Eels fan, I would be I'm very very annoyed and disappointed that they even let it get to Golden Point because they were 12 points ahead with about yeah. eight minutes eight minutes ago, and they let two tries in uh, at the very very end there to to allow them to you know tie up at 24 all, uh, and with Mitchell Moses injured, uh, which in what has now. I think he's now going to be injured for several weeks with, I think, as a calf injury. Um, he was off the field Boom. at that oh, point, right when they needed that him. Cup. What's that, sorry? Oh, I, th- I thought you meant like a cow. Sorry about that. Yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, no, he got, a, he got kicked in the head by a, car, a cow. Uh, no, but, <laughs> no, look, um, for, you know, luckily King Gutho was there. To, wow. uh, as captain to settle, he's still captain, I believe. I'm not sure, but uh, you know, to settle the nerves and to take control, and and that he did. Uh, you know, he absolutely did. And unfortunately, with about a minute to go, I believe you know, they almost had a chance to actually uh, seal the deal. Uh, and you know, quite crazily, he uh, he managed to get pushed out on <laughs> of the sideline. I think. Um, while in possession of the ball, so at that point I thought, oh no, this is it. We've lost it. We've uh, we've dropped our bundle. Uh, but really, King Gutho uh, had a couple of shots at field goal and finally nailed it in the second half of injury time, or no, sorry, of golden point extra time. I mean, and uh, and that's all that was required. And it was a really good goal as well, uh, field goal as well. And yeah, the Eels showing that they can win uh, the tight situations. But unfortunately, I think I would have to say that's a pretty much a lucky escape because, uh, you know, but they do have some positives to take out of that. And the le- not the least of which is that without Mitchell Moses, they can still manage to grind out a win against last year's grand finalists. So um, pretty pos- good positives all round, but uh, they've got a lot of improving to get through before they can reach the level of the Roosters, I would think. But that kept them at the top of the table. So, uh, you know, uh, good on them. <laughs> what are your thoughts so far on on that match? Oh, well, uh, what a great game, firstly. It's probably I've got to be in the top five uh, games of the year. Probably, uh, I know, because last year, <laughs> everyone <laughs> I've been saying this game's the best game. This could, I think this could be like a, a candidate for the, for the game of the season because, it had so many drama, so much story uh, to the whole game. Um, you know, there's those uh, shots of, uh, you know, there's a bit of niggle between the two teams. Uh, Corey Horsborough, I don't know if you saw this, Dr. T, but he, uh, he got hurt and he thought somebody had done something wrong by him. So then he was crying as he was leaving the field. And uh, they're just showing so much passion. And he wanted to take out some, um, he wanted to he wanted to take out some uh, Parramatta players. I think he was, he's been angry at Ryan Madison or something like that. And then as he's walking off the field, he's limping away. And he's like mouthing off to different people. He sees some of the fans. He starts uh, putting his finger up at the fans, and I thought, well, like that was quite a kind of a moment. And uh, you know, we had some uh, you know pretty great tries as well. Um, some really nice kicking between both teams. And then look, Parramatta pulled away, which I thought was uh, you know that was basically really good to see. And you thought that you know that was it for Canberra, and Canberra have not been ha- had the best form over the last few weeks. And then, yes, in the 76th and, uh, yeah, 75th to the 76th minute, scoring two tries. I think uh, Nick Cox uh, going over twice uh, in the dying stages to, you know, send it into 
uh, uh, you know, extra time and uh, then resulting in, uh, you know, uh, the statistic I think was is that out of, you know, out of all the golden point victories that Parramatta had, um, I think Moses had t- kicked like 50% of them uh, and he wasn't on the field and nobody from Parramatta had ever kicked a field goal in the NRL ever before. And uh, Gutho was, he was able to get the job done. So well done. Um, so very, very dramatic, but it was, it was, it was great to watch. And uh, yeah, well done on Parramatta. This is the type of, uh, you know, in, in, when things are going your way, this is the type of game you end up winning. And when things, things are not, these are the ones that you, you know, sort of crucially lose. So it is interesting how probably, uh, you know, Canberra, you know, they, they were so close, but ended up losing, but then Parramatta ended up winning. And I think, uh, I think this shows, you know, Parramatta now have beaten one of the grand finalists last year. So I think, uh, legitimate status. They're getting better and better every week, which is good to see. Absolutely. Uh, all right. And look, another one that surprised me, given what was what we've been seeing lately, Manly versus Cronulla. Uh, you know, you would expect. I think we both expected maybe that the the Manly wearing the Eagles would take this one out. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> they were flogged by the Sharks, forty to twenty two. Uh, never really looked in it, and I, I just can't explain what happened there because, again, everything had been pointed pointing to the Manly team showing that they were worthy, you know, possible top four contenders. Um, they really never looked in it. I mean, again, they 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 kind of got an early try uh, to match it with the Sharks, but then they just completely dropped their bundle and only really kicked into gear with three late tries. It probably should have been closer to forty to ten rather than forty to twenty-two. Put it that way, because there were some last-minute tries there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I cannot explain what went on. It was at Central Coast Stadium, so the Battle of the Sydney Beaches, mm. playing at you know in good good uh, good weather, good temperature, good everything, uh, perfect stadium, Central Coast Stadium, nice view all that kind of stuff. And uh, the Sharks, surprisingly, found that extra gear where Manly couldn't. What, what was your explanation for this match? Yeah, well, uh, maybe Trevojevic not playing. Uh, that shows what a crucial player he is uh, in their team because, uh, you know, without him, and I think without Moses Sully as well, uh, you know, so a bit of an intimidating factor uh, you know, in the centers going up against, you know, either Dugan or uh, Jesse Ramian, who are some pretty intimidating characters themselves. So I think they probably lacked a little bit of experience, uh, Manly, and it kind of shows that their depth isn't that great in certain areas in the field. Meanwhile, the Sharks, uh, you know, they've, they've had some players, like they pretty much have their full-strength squad um, playing this game. And if you actually look at the Sharks team on paper, it's actually a... A, a fairly good list of well-known uh, superstars of the games, you know, for theatre, Aaron Woods, you know, Wade Graham, you know, it's a, kind of a, a very strong forward back. And then, you know, Dugan and Matt Moylan and, you know, Sean Johnson, they're all sort of world-class players. So they kind of played, this is one game where probably, um, you, know, the, you know, the Sharks actually turned up and played up to their potential and kind of shows that if they do have their day, they, they are still... A very strong lineup, but uh, yeah, but Manly uh, without Trebojevic, they, they look like a completely different team. All right, and finally, the West Tigers thirty-four to six against the Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs. 
Uh, surprisingly, uh, the Bulldogs were the first scorers of this match. Uh, <laughs> so they were, uh, you know, 34 straight points to the Tigers. Congratulations. Uh, um, yeah, look, not not unexpected, to be honest, given what we've seen this year from the Bulldogs and the kind of uh, weaknesses that they've got in their squad. But um, I would have thought they would have put up a bit more of a fight, which surprised me. So what's your reading of this match? Well, uh, yeah, look, I think um, I think the fact that Bulldogs scored first, I think that's actually what got the Tigers a bit more into gear. Um, they must have seen um, uh, Maguire's face looking down and staring at them after the Bulldogs scored first, <laughs> and uh, I think they kind of turned it on. So, look, uh, 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 it's a fair dinkle win for the West Tigers because they've, uh, they've been known to lose these sort of games in the past, and the fact that they were able to actually pull this one out, I think kind of shows that there is a bit more hunger and desire than what there was a few weeks ago, which is looks like things are improving. Um, it's also a pretty bad result for Benji Marshall uh, because it's probably another uh, another game that he's probably going to have to sit out this week. So, yeah, there you go. All right, well, there you go. All right, so that's our wrap-up of round seven. Let's launch into our second tackle. Here we go. Right, so now we're going to talk about the secret $600 million bid to buy 20% of the NRL. Tish, what have you heard on the grapevine today? Oh, okay, well, uh, yeah, look, I did hear about it today, but this is actually published on the Sun-Herald on the 25th, and nobody's really talked about it, but the Sun-Herald's journalist Andrew Webster has revealed that um, Melbourne Storm power broker Bart Campbell uh, has been behind a plot um, for private investor, uh, investors to buy 20% stake of the NRL, um, you know, worth a staggering $600 million. So it does remain unclear which companies might be interested in buying in uh, that Campbell is representing, uh, but he has been working with the London broker Oakwall Sports Advis- uh, Adv- Advisory, uh, and this is the same uh, entity which uh, earlier in the year um, – you know, was telling the NRL they could facilitate on a $250 million line of credit uh, during the COVID-19 uh, crisis. Uh, so Campbell told the commission the NRL is worth $3 million. That's what they estimated it to be. And then on that, on that basis, they would buy 20% of that stake, um, you know, the people that he represented, which would equal $600 million. Um, privately, it, you know, uh, Andrew Webster, from his reports, the NRL were very sceptical on um, how they got to those numbers and that sort of modelling. Um, and the other no- news that Webb did pull out is that apparently Campbell has also been, uh, you know, has also uh, approached other club bosses, including the Roosters, Penrith, Warriors, Broncos, to sort of discuss the deal. Um, Mike Campbell is kind of considered as one of the most shrewd uh, operators in Australian sport. Uh, he actually was the former chairman of Melbourne, and he, re- uh, you know, now the new chairman is Matthew uh, Tripp, and you know that sort of happened last month. Uh, he's also associated with New Zealand Rugby, uh, and also represents, um, you know, the rugby uh, world rugby excerpt. So, uh, very interesting uh, sort of concept here about a private firms trying to buy a stake in the NRL, uh, obviously during the COVID one nine crisis. And uh, just the teams that are involved and just the way it sort of all worked out, I kind of smelt like this is like Super League War 2020 um, about to begin, which is very unfortunate if, if we're heading down this road. 
So um, I kind of I kind of wanted to talk about it because I felt like uh, we haven't really heard too much, and I'm just wondering why we haven't heard too much about what was secretly going on around um, you know the NRL potentially uh, could be sold to private firms. Do you think that would be a good thing for the game or a bad thing for the game? That obviously. Oh, look, it, it depends on what the terms are. I mean, if uh, I'm always suspicious of these kinds of things, like, you know, especially when we were talking very recently about the NRL going broke and now all of a sudden people want to buy it. It's like, that's uh, that's very interesting. <laughs> you know, yeah. it really, is, what what is going on? Or is it just the fact that, um, you know, the people who are sniffing around, the vultures that are sniffing around at the NRL are kind of uh, cooking up a story of some sort. And, you know, so I wonder what is going on in the background. I do wonder whether there's a conflict of interest here in a way, uh, not so much a conflict of interest, but we've got to look at the ulterior motives. This is someone who's a, a board member of the New Zealand Rugby Union and this is a competitor. I mean, would you get someone who is a board member of Pepsi to to buy a, a major stake in Coca Cola? What, what, what yeah. would what would you feel if that was the case? Wouldn't you feel like there was a potential to, you know, what's this person up to? Are they trying to sabotage things, or, or you know, what is actually going on? So, mm. uh, why are they just diversifying their uh, their financial portfolio? You know, are they just trying to buy up the biggest? Uh, brands and blah 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 and i wonder if this is at all related to this uh ridiculous scenario about the kangaroos and all blacks playing a hybrid match (laughs) which uh you know which to me i mean we didn't just to tell you what we think about that uh (laughs) that that suggestion we haven't even decided to talk about it today that that tells you uh something about what what kind of um airtime we should really give that kind of suggestion and so this kind of this story that you've mentioned tish is equally has got my conspiracy theories uh you know you know going i think i'm just sort of wondering what is going on here um there must be some reason why all of a sudden now everyone wants to buy all of a sudden we're talking you know selling off the nrl i mean what what on earth are we doing you know um and what's the benefit to the NRL apart from an injection of yes 600 million dollars but then we would be beholden to basically you know 20% of the game is for profit for you know not for the game itself it's for external parties so i'm very very concerned about this uh i'm surprised that no one has talked about it. i'm surprised that all the talk has been about uh you know ridiculous things <laughs> rather than things like this which is uh you know you would think that there'd be a lot more discussion in the rugby league world about it so i agree with you i'm wondering why it's been a bit hush hush um what are your final thoughts on this well um uh you know you mentioned pepsi and coke and i actually thought about those two particular companies uh, because I think a lot of people think sometimes, okay, yeah, having franchises, private ownership, all that sort of stuff might be good for the NRL. But I just want to remind, I, th- I think from a, a club level, like if, if a club is privately owned or has a, a backer in it, then I think it's a good thing. But I, but I think the entire competition cannot be owned by a business um, at all. And, um, you know, Rugby League started in 1895. And how many of the world's largest companies – were around in 1895, not 
well, I, I would say that probably not all any of them. Probably Coke and Pepsi are probably the only two big ones uh, because even the shoe companies weren't around uh, at that time. So it kind of shows you that sport has a has a longevity than what a lot of businesses have. And as a result, um, you know, that's why you can't have sport going into the hands of, uh, you know, businesses whose sole purpose in life is to make a profit because, you know, rugby league to survive needs to make a lot of decisions that are not based on money but more based on the growth of the game, the community and things like that. So um, as much as I as I do believe that there should be some sort of involvement in private companies sort of, you know, injecting funds, I don't think ownership of the NRL is something that we can ever give away. And hopefully the ARL uh, commission and the NRL um you know, become the security guards of the game and make sure that doesn't happen. Absolutely. Uh, all right, let's move on to tackle number three, shall we? All right, the Broncos. we got to talk about the Broncos because uh, they are rapidly deteriorating right before our eyes. They're self-destructing. They're the bottom dwellers at the moment or close enough to hey, it. How are you, mate? Uh, and... Uh, and yeah, so basically, we. Uh, what are your thoughts about the Broncos? They're at the lowest point in history. They've got some yeah. terrible stats at the moment. Uh, yeah, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, well, look, I think five straight losses now. Uh, they have not won a game since the COVID one on crisis. Uh, we did talk about last year, they got completely belted by Parabata 58 deal, uh, but that record has been broken already. Uh, by the Roosters, 59 nil this year. So um, things go, go bad to worse. Fans are booing them. Uh, you know, they're running 15, 15th at the moment. Um, I believe that um, very soon they could actually be at the bottom of the ladder. And uh, they just seem to, um, you know, when you watch them play, they don't seem to have any idea about what they're doing at all. Um, and it's uh, just it's very comical, some of the things they do on the field. Um Players are playing out of position. You know, they run the ball uh, on the last tackle. The kicking game's terrible. Uh, you know, they sort of give up. They're, they're, all the games that they're losing, they're not just losing by, you know, a point or, or extra time or, you know, by a tackle or by a try. They're losing by, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 points a, a game and, and not always to the top-ranked teams either. I mean, the, the Titans, uh, with all due respect, you know, they were coming equal last before uh, this game and, uh, yeah, completely being able to turn it around. And they have a – that well, the foreign against is still terrible, but this really helped the Titans out from a foreign against point of view. So um, Brisbane, they're the richest club in the NRL. They have all the money. They have all the resources. Um, they've signed Anthony Seabold to a five-year deal. Uh, Anthony Seabold, he was very uh, – it was very funny, his press conference. I don't know if you saw it, Dr. C, but he was like uh, – I think I'm the right man for the job. Um, is pretty, pretty much what he said. So uh, you can tell he's certainly under a lot of pressure. Um, you know, there's been uh, you know, Gordon Talos has come out. He said that uh, he said that uh, you know they should have given Kevin Walters a chance to actually fail. They didn't even do that. Uh, you know, he said that he's been not allowed to uh, to attend games or to you know attend training or to help out the team. Um, now you know, nicest of nice guys, Glenn Lazarus. Uh, King Lazo, um, he's also come out and backed up the statements of Gordon Tallis. Um, he has wanted to go out there and just let him mentor some of these young forwards. Um, but the Broncos have refused to do, you know, allow him access. 
Same thing for Willie Card. Um, so yeah, a few a few of the older Brisbane players not being uh, too happy about not just what's happening on the field but also off the field how the Brisbane Rockers are being run. Mm. And it's uh, yeah, it's pretty terrible. And I think their big thing for me is uh, they don't have a spine that is uh, that they need to improve on their spine. I think at the end of the day, the forwards, you know, when they get a little bit of momentum. Uh, the fifth tackle option has to be better and it has to support their forwards a little bit because, you know, they're out there working. And the next thing is their backs. Um, yeah, look, Jay, uh, Asako, the, he should still be on the wing. Uh, he might be a great fullback down the track, but I think he's not suited for that position at the moment. I don't know what Darius Boyd, Boyd is doing in the centres. I don't think he even knows what he's doing in the centres. Uh, Corey Oates, uh, you know, he's been dropped. Uh, but that's fair enough because he's been playing pretty terrible. Uh, they just need to they just need to improve across the park. So, uh, uh, any thoughts on on the Broncos? How do you think? Uh, you know, what do you think about their problems, and how do you think they will improve up the team? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I, it's kind of look. Let, let's just talk about the 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 obvious things first. So, as you said, the former some of the former stars have complained about the club turning its back on them, and I think. I think that's a very important kind of factor here that if the decisions are around, you know, the, the, just the general way the club is being run and the involvement of former players, if the decisions have been to just shun them, then that's not a good sign. I mean, we've seen as well that, you know, the, the way that New South Wales in State of Origin, I know it's a different kind of landscape, but the way in State of Origin New South Wales managed to get its mojo back was basically by by kind of heavily investing in in getting some of the old guard, the old successful guard, shall I say, back to kind of uh, to talk to the, the the current squad and and you know to bring that kind of sense of belonging. Uh, to make them feel connected as opposed to disconnected, all that kind of stuff, get people more engaged in in, in the, the the gravity of the situation and the importance of what they what they do, you know, um, and and so that's definitely a factor there that I think that potentially a solution to this is, you know, find a way to get these players to be more connected to their to the club and to the past and to actually fight for, you know. You're talking about the the you know they're getting flogged as opposed to just kind of uh, which to me is a sign that they're giving up when the chips are down and to me that's a sign of not um, not having pride in the jumper you know what I mean and and this is something that when you've got the amount of uh, skills and the the squad that they've got the experience that they've got um, that's a real problem there. Now I've also heard that you know we've, in terms of the squad, uh, I think it's Ben Iken has uh, made some very uh, strong comments about the fact that he's got uh, he's quite annoyed about the uh, the actual roster itself. Uh, so he, so Iken has sort of given some uh, very negative feedback around uh, the more operational side of things as opposed to the symbolic things that the other former greats have uh, have mentioned. And so from Icon's perspective, it's about the roster not really being up to scratch. It's unbalanced. It's uh, that, you know, 
and to that that falls to the basically the coach and the selectors and and the you know the people managing the club basically and that leads me to my final point which is uh you know the the elephant in the room here is that Anthony Seabold was given this role as coach and he hasn't really got much in terms of credentials that you know he hasn't got much yeah. in terms of um on his uh, on his resume as coach and so you've yeah. you've basically entrusted the the biggest rugby league club in Australia uh with is you've given uh, you know basically like a teenager the keys to the Porsche you know wow. and that's and that's really not a smart thing to do uh why do you think that you know in the past you know they they, they went back to Wayne Bennett you know uh after after trying a few different other things because they weren't happy with that and they wanted to go with the tried and true and and this is the the problem here that i think it's got a lot to do with an inexperienced coach uh possibly also the the management above him with some of the decisions around, you know, their inability to bring back the old guard and make them feel welcome and bring a, whole, a kind of a club, whole of club based approach uh, to to this kind of uh, to the players so that they understand the the great club that they're associated with. Um, all of those factors are a, a sure sign of failure. You know, like this it, to me, it's not. Um, and I don't know for sure if that's what's what, but from an outsider's perspective, I believe that that's what we're seeing. And I think the solutions are unfortunately not going to be liked by many, but it has to be to look, think carefully about whether they're going to allow this coach who's been signed for five years, I believe. Uh, you know, yeah. this is unprecedented as well, an unproven coach to be signed for five years to the biggest club in Australia. And, um, you know what are they going to do about it? Well, I think they need to just think carefully about performance managing him in terms of his contract. Uh, maybe they need to give him some time to prove himself, but he needs to turn things around very quickly. And I think one thing he has to do is to get get the players to have some pride in that jersey, and uh, you know bring bring some of the old guard who, who have been through the success uh, of the club and and can speak on behalf of. You know, this is what it was like when we were in the winner's circle, which was, uh, you know, how long ago was it? When was the last time they won a premiership, Tish? Do you remember? Uh, 2007, 2007, maybe? 2006, six, 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 I think. Oh. Or, yeah, something like oh. that. Something like that. So it's been, put it this way, it's been a long, long time. <laughs> so yeah, it it's, has. It's been a long time, and really they have no, they can't afford to just keep, you know, they're not as successful as they used to be. This is a reality. And yeah. so something needs to be done and something drastic needs to be done. And uh, sticking with a coach and a squad that is consistently losing and getting flogged by teams that aren't that good um, is a real, real problem. Uh, Tish, what are your thoughts on how they're going to turn this around? Yeah. Well, I think what you're referring to with the roster, because uh, they do need to change their roster, um, you do have, uh, you know, Darius Board, who's retiring at the end of the season, committed to about 800000 And then you have struggling Milford, uh, who's uh, near the $1 million mark, as well as Jack Bird, who is um, also chewing up a million dollars a year, uh, not doing anything, because uh, I think he's injured at the moment, right? So um, that's very, very bad roster management. So I think Ben Ike does have a point there. Um, 
Yeah, look, I think that, uh, you know, uh, they need a bit more. Uh, I think they've tried to recruit based on skill, and skill is very important. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, skill is, you know, we, we marvel at some of these players with their remarkable skill. But I think what they do need is that competitive attitude, um, and they seem to don't have those sort of grumpy players that sort of, you know, want to win at all costs and will do anything they can to win. They're real fierce competitor nature because they've kind of gone for players that are more sort of, uh, you, you know, I'd say, you know, skill over sort of the more sort of the tough part of the game where, you know, when things, when you chips it down, you want to have that competitor that sort of, you know, does want, wants to make sure that, you know, the tries that scored near the post so that they don't get the goal or, you know, we'll, we'll run that extra yard or something like that or, you know, we'll take the ball up in those rough situations. They don't really have a player like that. And, they, and I think they need a few players like that to try and change it over. And about the coaching, you're right. I don't think anybody else in the NRL, any other coach, has got a five-year deal. And I was talking to somebody about this over the weekend and, um, you know, they're not really the uh, – you know, they don't follow the game as closely as what you and I uh, do, Dr. T. But, uh, you know, it's funny because uh, I was like, you know, um, well – uh, you know, whoever's going to do play after Wayne Bennett, whichever coach is going to be, obviously they've got a tough job. And they're like, yeah. And it's like, well, at least they picked the guy who won the premiership at South. Uh, no, no, no. Seabold's not the guy who won the premiership at South. And he goes, oh, no. Oh, really? And he's like, no, no. He was the assistant to the guy who won the premiership. He's like, oh, okay. So so instead of choosing Wayne Bennett's assistant, which was, uh, I think that was actually Walters, they've chosen to take the assistant of another club uh, who – and it's not the same guy who actually got them to the finals. It is the assistant of the guy. So so it, it is actually quite an odd um, quite an odd thing. And he only had one season in the NRL, which they had a fantastic season. But uh, in many ways, you can, it can be said that uh, – and I think Tim Sheehan said this in 2003. The very first season that you have as a coach, you pretty much got to ride off the roster – and write off the coach because it's not the coach's roster. It's the former coach's roster that they're working with. And Seabold worked with probably Maguire's older roster and got them to the finals. Um, and then he wasn't able and – and, and to be fair, he was able to do the same thing with Wayne Bennett's roster last year. But now with the roster that he's sort of designed, it's not really going his way. So, um, you know, maybe that will give him till the rest of the season. Um and I think you probably, you know, in reality, you need to give a coach probably three to four years. But I think they've got they've regressed so bad that I I really don't see him being the coach of the Broncos in twenty twenty one, unless they turn it around, of course. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's not going very well for them, and they need to turn around very quickly. But all right, so let's move on to tackle number four. Here we go. Alright, so scrums are exciting again. Uh, a new rule change that has been overlooked recently but has seemed to have made a world of difference to the NRL is that the NRL teams are now allowed to choose where a scrum can be packed. Uh, you know, so in the past it would have been, you know, you've, you've kind of depend on the side of the field, but now they've got the choice to pack it wherever they want. Uh, along that line, uh, you know, along the same parallel line. And and look, what it's resulted in is quite a few really amazing tries that have basically, uh, you know, opened up the field to, um, 
to some great attacking plays straight from scrums. So much so that when you look at the stats from the last few years, uh, you know, you've got a pretty, well, I wouldn't say even spread, but you, if you're talking about uh, uh, tries that are scored directly from scrums, you've got a majority, obviously, from uh, the centre of the field and, you know, about, say, a fifth or so from uh, the, the, the left or the right of the field. This year, however, so far, and again, we're only six, uh, sorry, seven rounds in, this year, though, uh, 100% of the tries that are scored directly from a scrum are from try uh, from scrums that have been packed in the centre of the field. So in the past, we've seen that percentage being 53 and 58% last year. So what we're seeing now with that particular rule change is that teams are now given, when given the choice, they're tending to pack their scrums in the middle of the field and what that's done is it, it's showing that it's leading to success because you've you got a chance now to use the whole field to your advantage to set uh, do your set pieces. And uh, it's certainly resulting in some really amazing kind of set pieces and some great attacking moves, which have resulted in tries more so than before. So, um, you know, a really great stat there. And again, it just goes to show that sometimes a bit of a tweak to a rule uh, or, or, the, or the, the conventions that we're used to can just be enough to kind of allow uh, the game to really open up. And really, again, all of this is in service of opening up to attacking football a bit more than, uh, and, and so, you know, that goes hand in hand with the other rules, rule changes that we've seen this year around the six again, etc. So, Tish, what are your thoughts about, first of all, the rule change? Do you agree that we should keep it? And and do you see any downsides uh, to, to what we're seeing in the stats? Yeah, hi, Dr. T. Sorry, I just had my mic on mute. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, I was going to say... The phrase of 2020. Sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Now, look, I was going to say, yes, I uh, agree that they should keep this rule uh, because I think it makes the game more exciting. It adds another element to the game. And, um, you know, it's kind of become, you know, if you have, uh, what, five five players, five or six players that's packed down the scrum, what do you got? Uh, two, one, three, eight, six players, sorry. You've got seven. So you've got four and three on one side and four and three on the other side. So it does present a very uh, compelling attacking uh, formation uh, to score tries, and we've seen uh, that take place. So I think that's a, it's a great rule, and um, it goes to improving the entertainment of the game, and I think it's fantastic. Um, so I think they should definitely keep this rule. Um, not 100% convinced on uh, some of the other rules. Uh, you know, Captain's Challenge is one that I'm a little... Uh, you know, some of the Captain Challenges have been brilliant, but some of them have been really awful as well. Um and it does slow the game down a little bit, so I'm not too sure about that. Um, and I think the uh, the next part that they really need to sort of figure out what they're doing on is the whole deal with the obstructions, um, because <laughs> because that is uh, a bit of a, a lucky dip uh, sometimes I feel, and uh, you know uh, you know sort of everybody getting confused about everything. But I think overall it's added to the presentation of the game, and it made to front it, it's made scrums relevant again. Without, you know, scrum penalties holding up the game, um, it's made it exciting in a different way, which has allowed to allowed you to see um, 
a bit more of the passing and uh, evasive skills of the um, you know of the offensive teams, which I think is um, yeah all, always good for the game. So yeah, I, I, I'm in all favour of more more scrums. I say. All right, and uh, yeah, look, I believe uh, Donald Trump has changed his slogan to "Make Scrums Great Again." So there you go. <laughs> well yeah, done, there you NRL go. and PVL. So all right, uh, tackle number five. Here we go. All right, so Tish, we've heard that the Super League in the UK uh, is set to return on Sunday, August the 2nd, behind closed doors for uh, a shortened season. So uh, what are the details that you've heard? Okay, yes, so finally the Super League will get back on track in a little over a month's time, August the 2nd. A triple header is going to take place. Um, you know, Hull KR versus the Toronto Wolfpack, St. Helens versus Catalans, and Huddersfield versus Leeds will, uh, you know, start the rounds off, and then there'll be a full round of fixtures on the following week on the 8th and the 9th. So good news for the Super League uh, starting back up on August 2nd. I know that the Super League's also been very uh, concerned about the financial status of the game and, and obviously getting regularly back onto the... Uh, onto the television is very, very important for them. So a further 15 rounds of action is going to take uh, the season to total 22 at the end of the season uh, with the top four, uh, you know, semi-final playoffs and then the grand final taking place at the end of November. Um, so about the time where Origin ends as well, which kind of uh, goes, well, maybe they prematurely, uh, you know, cancel the Australian Great Britain trip because reality is all the players are now available. But anyway, that's another story. Um, yeah, games are said to be played with a limited number of neutral venues, uh, very similar to the NRL. So, following the you know the, the Villani's theory of you know isolated games with you know dodgy grass. Um, so yeah, so so there you go. So um, uh, Super League chairman Rob uh, Elston said it's, it's funny how the executive chairmans uh, are being more of the you know more of the spokespeople of the game, but. You know, he's basically said, uh, you know, we're delighted to uh, confirm, you know, the Super League is returning in just a few weeks uh, and it's going to be live on Sky Sports over in the UK. So, Dr. T, are you ready for your uh, Super League to get back on? And, uh, you know, which team do you think is going to uh, do well in the Super League post-COVID? Yeah, well, it's hard to tell. I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's there's quite a few teams that are going to be up there. I think Catalans will be up there. But I think St. Helens are pretty strong. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them uh, continue their winning ways. I think Wigan, don't count them out as well. Um, and I want to really see what Toronto Wolfpack does. I mean, it's just unfortunate that, you know, we had an opportunity to see, uh, you know, Sonny Bill-led uh, Toronto Wolfpack and see what they could do, but they won't really get that opportunity uh, in the same way that they could have, uh, you know, given the, the, the crisis this year. Um, but let's see what happens. Uh, but I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to the return of of a, a second major rugby league competition this year. It's just something that gives us a bit more thing, a few more things to talk about uh, as well on the, on the Republic here. What about mm. you, Tish? You excited? Yeah, I am. I am because obviously it's a different style of game, um, and I feel like uh, I know sometimes we sort of 
have a superiority complex uh, with Philly and RL as a superior game. And I wouldn't really necessarily call it superior. I think I, I think I'd like to call it a little bit different. They focus on different aspects of the game over in the Super League, which we don't really focus on here. And I think ultimately that's why the World Cup becomes so exciting because there is a different style of play. And then you see these different styles where in the NRL we've been used to the same sort of skill and the same sort of style. And, you know, the new NRL rules, I think, are a lot more closer to what the Super League rules are anyway. So that will be interesting as well um, coming up to the next World Cup because uh, you would have had, uh, you know, one referee throughout both competitions. And, uh, you know, you, hopefully the six again uh, rules get implemented in Super League as well. So I think you'll see hopefully a faster game and it might end up suiting some, uh, you know, some of the teams that don't sort of... Uh, you know, have more agility over pure brute strength, which uh, which unfortunately the grappling style of the NRL has led to. So, uh, yeah, very exciting to see. And I think there's going to be some really awesome tries scored. Um, James Maloney, of course, he's a bit of a freak over there. So I think Catalans are going to be exciting to watch. But I really like – I think I've seen some really good footage of um, St. Helens and Castleford and the way they play. And I think those two teams might actually do some – damage in the season uh, in Super League. Absolutely. Uh, I agree with you. I think James Maloney will probably be kicking himself thinking, if I'd only stayed in the NRL, uh, now it's a more open and less defence-orientated league. Yeah. <laughs> it suited him to a T, but uh, let's see how he goes over there. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to our final tackle, tackle number six. And we're going to do the tips for round eight. So after the last round, you did pretty good. You got seven out of eight. I got five. So you're catching up there. You're on 24.5 post-COVID, and I'm on 25.5. And away we go with the tips for round eight. Storm versus Roosters. It's as close to top of the table clash as you're going to get at this point. Um, I'm thinking the Roosters are still yet to find that that gear. So um, I think they'll win this one. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to tip it the Roosters in this one. But it, it's going to be a great game, I, I believe. So there we go. Raiders versus Dragons. Now, uh, you know, sometimes we get some pretty interesting games out of these two teams, but I think the Raiders are, are kind of – they were pretty close to, you know, now the now front runners, the Eels. Uh, very unlucky to, to lose that game, and I think uh, they'll be looking for revenge. So I think the Raiders will win this one. I think the Raiders are going to win. This game is actually back at GIO Stadium. So I think it's really going to suit the Raiders. Uh, the Dragons, I think, I think are going to find it tough uh, during this game. All right. Um, the Eels versus the Cowboys. Now, I'm, I'm going to tip the Eels. I think they'll do this one easily. Yeah, uh, look, I'm with you as well. I think the Eels, uh, on a Friday night, first Friday night of the game for them, I think, this season. But the Eels, I think, are specials for this one. Titans versus Sharks, and look, I, I, a couple of weeks ago, I would have actually thought Titans would cause an upset, but after what I saw from the Sharks, I think uh, I think the Sharks will win this one. Um, I am going to tip the Titans in an upset um, because this game is in Queensland. The Sharks have to travel. It's a day game, um, and I think the Sharks also, uh, they're a much older team. I think their recovery is going to be a bit of an issue after playing a great game last week, so the Titans for me. All right, battle of pretty much battle of the bottom. Warriors okay. versus Broncos. This could go either way. I mean, 
at the moment, the media is piling on, as we are, on the Broncos. Uh, not much has been said about the Warriors, who have been equally kind of disappointing more recently. Having said that, they've fought with a bit more pride and passion, but they're also on a bit of a downward trajectory. As I said, a lot of the players are homesick. There's been a lot of unrest from within the team. They've just lost their coach, uh, the co- first coach second of the year, uh, Stephen Carney, a couple of weeks ago and or last week. And it could go either way, but I'm betting on the Warriors. I think the Warriors will actually win this one against the Broncos. Um, I think uh, they do have a lot to play for. I think they're very close-knit, uh, you know, and I think I think that every now and again they have a greater potential to pull something out and uh, and really show some pride in their jersey, whereas the Broncos, I've yet to see a sign that they will do uh, – to see a sign that they will do that. So Warriors for mine. Yeah, look, I've got a different theory. I'm going to tip Brisbane. Um I feel like they've had uh, a very bad st- – they've had a very bad month and they can't get any worse. So on that basis, I think they'll win this. <laughs> the only way is up, as that, sa- as that song goes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, the Battle of the Big Cats, Tigers versus Panthers. Uh, look, I'm going to tip a bit of an upset here. I think the Panthers, as good as they've been going – I think they're vulnerable to a team like the Tigers who who can surprise them, and I think they will get ambushed by this Tigers lineup. So Tigers for mine. Yeah, look, I am also going to tip the Tigers. Uh, obviously, I, I sort of can't go against that. The Panthers, who was my wife's favorite team as well. Um, so go t- Tigers. Hopefully, give them <laughs> respect to Red Light House often. <laughs> It'll be interesting uh, lineup. Uh, interesting <laughs> after the weekend, how you go. Maybe we'll see a draw. <laughs> Maybe we'll see true equality on the scoreboard. I think uh, we'll both be unhappy if that's the case. So. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right, Manly versus Newcastle. So this is a bit of a yeah, a bit of the local derby there because you know the the battle of the F three freeway. Um, look, the Knights again. Both teams were disappointing last week, uh, and very surprisingly so. And I think. It just all comes down to who's got the most heart to win it back. And I think Desi Hasler's team, the Manly Warringah Seagulls, will win it. Uh, look, I'm, I'm going to tip the Knights. I think the Knights have got too much class for Manly. Uh, and I think also without the key uh, injuries that Manly have at the moment, I think the Knights should should win this game. So I'll tip the Knights. All right. And the Bulldogs against the Rabbitohs, finally. And I think... Uh, well, there's not much to say here. I don't think the Bulldogs will uh, will put up much of a fight here. I think I'm looking forward to seeing Latrell Mitchell. Is he still? Hopefully, he hasn't been uh, injured or suspended. But uh, <laughs> if he is in the team, I think the Rabbitohs will win, and I think we'll see him improving even further, which will be very interesting come uh, finals time and state of origin time. So, Rabbitohs for mine. Okay. Well. Um, based on Andrew Johns's dew point philosophy, this game is going to have lots of dew. Therefore, the Rabbitohs aren't going to play well. So I'm going to tip the Bulldogs in a uh, in an upset. Uh, let's have a look. Oh, now Latrell Mitchell is playing. That no, it's all right. The Bulldogs, they've got yeah. I think I think uh, they're going to be down. They're going to be down for a fight, and uh, yeah, maybe they might be able to beat the Bulldogs. So yeah, let's 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 see how the Bulldogs go. 
All right, and that's it. That wraps up our, our podcast for today. That's our tips, and that's it, everything. Uh, don't forget, everyone, to contact us on via email, arrowrepublic at gmail.com. If you want to give us any feedback at all on what you've heard today or what you want us to talk about in the future, uh, check out our website, arrowrepublic.com, as well, where you can see all of our podcast episodes. And check us out on social media. We're on Facebook, on Twitter, and uh, don't forget iTunes. You can download and subscribe to our podcast and leave your uh, comments, uh, reviews, etc., etc. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, we've been steadily improving uh, our numbers from last year, and we're glad to be growing this community who uh, who basically are interested in hearing us talking from from our layman's terms, our layman's perspective uh, on on the greatest game of all, the game that we love, rugby league, and everything that's exciting that's going on in the world of rugby league, which we love talking about. Tish, thanks so much for everything. Over to you to wrap this up. Well, thank you, Dr. T, and that's all the time that we have for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. We're your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.